This is Sarah McKenna, co-founder of Alien Worlds, the number one DAP that has been pioneering DAOs for years. Make sure to keep tuned to Edge of NFT and stay at the forefront of the ever-expanding universe of NFTs. Hey, all you NFT curious listeners, launch into today's episode to learn how our guests today went from the banking world into crypto and take, took a deep dive. And how Alien Worlds helped to pioneer what DAOs are and can be. And why NFT participation trophies may be the next big thing. All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Sarah McKenna, CEO of Dacoco and co-founder of Alien Worlds a social NFT metaverse whereby NFTs are leveraged as game pieces with utility and functionality in the game. Alien Worlds is the most popular blockchain game in history. Cero has bridged traditional business practices with decentralized communities and concepts since the early days of cryptocurrency. Prior to crypto, she spent more than four years in M&A at Rothschild in London and has represented equity on boards of directors. Sarah holds an M.A. with honors from Oxford University, where she was a Mrs. J.H. McEwen Scholar. Sarah, welcome. Hey, guys. It's great to be here today. Very accomplished. Awesome. <laughs> and a lot of energy. Thanks for joining us at 11 p.m. You're in uh, what part of the world right now? Yeah, so based in Zoo, Crypto Valley. Great part of the world to be in, but yes, a little bit late <laughs> at this time, but great to be with you guys over in various parts of the U.S. Yeah, the pros and cons of our industry. It's a 24-7 business. Yeah, exactly. Getting up in the morning to talk to Asia, staying up late to chat to Americans. But, you know, it's good to be alive. Good to be able to collaborate with everybody. Great time indeed. Well, Sarah, look, let's go back in time a bit. You graduate from Oxford, you get into M&A, you're completely crushing it. How did crypto enter the picture for you? And when did NFTs make their appearance? Yeah, gosh, back in memory lane. So yeah, I started, as you say, in M&A. So learning about companies and buying and selling them and valuing them. I joined just after, or in fact, as the beginning of the financial crisis was happening. And I really you know, witnessed the unfolding of that banking crisis. You know, banks across Europe were failing day by day. In fact, we got a sort of daily memo in our inboxes of which kind of major national banks had basically, you know, had major downgrades in their ratings or had actually failed kind of in the preceding couple of days. And I guess I sort of thought that I was going to see a major correction in how traditional finance functioned or even sort of maybe some soul searching or some actual kind of changes in practices. And I guess I didn't really see much cultural change. There was like a, you know, about, about a year long period in which deals weren't happening, for example, but it didn't really feel like after that, there was actually much change in the underlying approach to how corporate finance was being structured and done. I mean, I still stuck around in that world for a while. I was then kind of moving a little bit more towards strategy consulting. And also, as you mentioned, working with private equity, like in terms of being representing them on boards of directors and doing kind of post-acquisition integration and consulting. And, it, you know, it wasn't a sort of a master plan to get into crypto, but it was just a sort of gradual learning, I think, about, about it. Um, I was fortunate that I had a few friends who were already working on various projects. In fact, early stage in Ethereum and a couple of other things. And that really humanized it for me because otherwise, you know, you hear about these projects and they just literally sound impenetrable. Like, I mean, first even just understanding them, let alone it just, whereas when you actually speak to people and, and they tell you like the reality of what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, even if you don't understand fully what they're saying, at least you realize that it's just a human being that you might be friends with or might have in your social circle who's doing that. And so I was fortunate that, yeah, I was hearing about it from other people rather than just kind of reading about it, because I think that really made it more real and more accessible. 
And then I did have a friend who was working on a project uh, called EOSDAC, which was the kind of precursor, our first project that me and my business partners worked on, which was a decentralized autonomous community that was a block producer on a number of blockchains. So he began to kind of introduce me to this project and I just got closer and closer. I mean, the way that DACs work, at least that DAC, there's no formal way of like being hired or, you know, you just kind of start to circle around what's going on and maybe comment, add value, you know, and then gradually people might start approaching you. They asked me to look at their constitution, for example, that they also had a lawyer was drafting, but I was kind of making some comments and then gradually just got closer to that project until eventually my business partners and I decided to actually, you know, become a bit more formal and decide to start providing certain services into that DAC. And then, you know, we continued to do other things. But yeah, that was how it got started was really just it being humanized through a couple of personal friendships where I realized that crypto wasn't a totally abstract thing. It was actually, a you know, blockchain was something that people were working on and then gradually starting to work on one particular project. Uh, that's amazing. And it, again, it goes to the community, right? This constant theme throughout the history of crypto, it just all, all goes back to community and kind of bringing people along in its own unique way. So we talked about crypto. How did NFT show up in your life? Mm. So, well, that, that all credit to that goes to my business partner, Rob Allen, who, so we were working on EOSDAC, this decentralized autonomous community. And one of the missions of EOSDAC was to, by the way, DACs are exactly the same thing as DAOs. It's just um, different terminology. So that was what we were calling them at that time, but we now call them DAOs. And one of the missions of that DAC was to help other DACs to form, was actually to create, so that, that DAC was using a code base to create a tokenized DAC that would have multi-sig permissions that would allow it to basically sign transactions and function as a DAC. And because we had that code base, it was easy enough, or we thought it would be easy enough to provide that to other groups where they could just kind of spin up their own DAC and start kind of operating the same way that we did. So we did that for a while and we were creating a product called the DAC Factory. And we were also advising some other clients on how to set up DAOs or even to, for example, advise preparatory committee to the government of Lieberland, which is a micronation that was putting a lot of its operations on chain. So we were kind of doing this thing of advising or trying to help DAOs become a reality in the world, whether from a sort of more governmental level, we were also helping a foundation to do that. And we were helping these other DACs through the DAC Factory. And that was all kind of chugging along. But, you know, even very fact that we had to assist a government to conceptualize of how to create, for example, legal structures that would allow a DAO to really like function as an entity in the world. Even the fact that we were having to get sort of as fundamental as that to even sort of as a precursor to even like being a DAO in the world was kind of evidence of the fact that it was maybe a little bit premature or at least quite early to really be proposing this kind of concept of, of DAOs to people as real like business things that they might actually, you know, turn their company into a DAO, for example. It was a little bit too soon for people to be able to see that, for, especially for non-crypto people to kind of see that. So then we began to think, well, what if we gamified this a little bit more? You know, that's a realm in which people are more experimental. You also might attract a different type of person. It's still fundamentally the same thing of bringing people together through tokens in a DAO, but there was kind of maybe we'd reach a different audience and maybe it would be more accessible. So then, of course, when you're starting to think about that, NFTs come around, at least for my very prescient and visionary co-founder who, you know, this was before NFTs were really on the radar for many people, but he could see that the Wax blockchain was beginning to kind of become more important. And this was an NFT, like it was a chain that was designed to be NFT friendly, especially NFTs that have utility. And so, yeah, we decided to basically combine this DAO thing that we'd been working on for a while with NFTs, which are such a natural blockchain construct, you know, that you could put possessions or unique things on chain rather than just kind of these measures of aggregate value, which is what a fungible token is. So he could see that that was a thing. And by fusing those together, these two kind of big thematic pillars, that was really what underpinned Alien Worlds. And of course, it ended up being a big success. Yeah, two game-changing you know, pieces of the crypto and blockchain universe, in particular over like the last two years, let's say, right, coming together in one amazing stuff. Thanks for sharing that. And that's a little bit of a pun there that we just missed, Jeff, game-changing. <laughs> Careful there, buddy. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so... That's great. Well connected too. I mean, as you started to talk to, to us about the history of, of your experience in crypto and NFTs, 
I thought, wow, we could probably spend a whole episode in the interesting journey that you've been through. There's a lot of twists and turns and, you know, it seems like you've come across a lot of intelligent and interesting folks and organizations as part of this, but I'm glad we were able to kind of get to mentioning Alien Worlds. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe Alien Worlds is a manifestation of Sarah's journey. Maybe that's what's going yeah. on there. Well, and I know so many of our journeys. I mean, yeah, because I think actually a lot of like so many people who've ended up kind of going further with blockchain have, I think, been through similar things. Like how do you bring c communities together? How do you track value? How do you incentivize the right behavior? You know, these are some fundamental questions. And so yeah, I guess we're all solving this. But yeah, the, certainly certain common themes arise in how people discover how to solve those things. And DAOs and NFTs are two of those solutions, I guess. Yeah. And you told us how you kind of brought existing ideas that you had put together and sort of brought in the NFT, at least in its inchoate form, into your project. And that sort of led to Alien Worlds. But at the same time, Alien Worlds, as we know, one of the top DAPs right now, it's been a very ambitious project from the start. And we hear about and see ambitious projects all the time. And then we stop hearing about them sometimes because, you know, they fall apart and nothing happens, right? So, you know, I think it'd be a great person to ask, like, how you kind of execute or what's the journey of actually executing on vision when you have something grand and big that you're ambitious about? Yeah, gosh, I mean, that's the whole thing, isn't it? I mean, you're right. There are some projects that have kind of come and gone. I mean, we've even seen that in the rankings, uh, like DAP Radar showing the gaming and other activity in various dApps. And some of them look like they're coming up and they're going to challenge us. And then, you know, two weeks later, they're kind of nowhere. And you think, oh, I wonder what was going on there. Like why? And then some projects have been much more stable. So yeah, I mean, how to execute. So the thing is that what we've built with Alien Worlds is a platform. We think of it as a metaverse, a place in which people can use fundamental architectural pieces that we've put in place, so the NFTs and the planetary DAO structures, which we, you know, I can talk about, the inflationary mechanism, which is how gaming rewards come into the system day by day and how those are competitively allocated between the planets that are in competition with each other. So, you know, that's what we've constructed. But really, actually, the community now is, because everything's on chain, nobody has to come to us really for permission to interact with the smart contracts, to offer their own games using those architectural pieces. And that's what's happening. So, for example, over the summer, communities began within Alien Worlds to drop their own NFTs onto certain collections of landowners. So there's a company that's offering this as a commercial service within Alien Worlds, not our company, just a totally separate one. And you can go to him and say, hey, I'd like to have NFTs dropped onto certain like collections of landowners. And he'll kind of execute that. And you can do it with him and figure out which NFTs and which you know groups of landowners and so on. This is just one example of because because the entire metaverse is on chain, it's accessible to anybody. I mean, admittedly, you have to have a bit of technical expertise, but it's not, you don't have to send me an email and or come up with a contract with us. Like it's completely open. And that's what the community is doing. So the question, how do you execute? I think you have to make it executable by a wider group of people. And that's actually what, for example, DAOs are designed to do. They're designed to bring in a group of people that actually can come and go, for example. So, you know, the group of people that's involved in a DAO can like will change over time and the because the token sits at the center of it by selling or buying the token or by working your way into ownership of the token, you can come and go out of the DAO. So these structures, if you can design them so that as many people as possible can contribute to them in a sort of organized way that's clear how that's happening. I think that's one of the key things about execution. It's not easy to, I mean, yes, that does require some design and some technical execution and then some, you know, teaching people how to engage with those things or, or attracting people who already would know. Like, for example, that company that I was mentioning, he already can read chain data and can execute something like that. So that's really the thing is that's what a decentralized blockchain project is in contradistinction to just any other game or company. It's that what you're trying to build is something that, other people can pick up the ball and run with it, you know, for years and years to come. Yeah, it's interesting. It feels very much like, you know, almost like genetic algorithms or something, right? If you set up the correct initial conditions, then something can happen. And if you don't, and something won't. At the risk of being a little bit obscure, we've referenced this guy, Stephen Wolfram, before as someone who's involved with Superworld as one of the advisors. But you know, he's this mathematician who did a lot of stuff around what they call cellular automaton. You know, you create one cell, you know, maybe it's like literally a pixel on a screen, but you define rules as to what its neighboring cells are, right? 
And you know, there's a set of rules you can define. And some of the rules, it just makes a straight line, right? And some of the rules, it makes this like incredible infinite universe of pixels that go on and create all these interesting patterns and stuff like that. So it sounds like, you know, that's kind of been a little bit of the secret sauce in setting this up for success is really spending time to find those right initial conditions that make something magical. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the data on DAP radar and I'm kind of blown away. I wanted to just put this in perspective for our listeners. In the last 30 days, 673,000 users and 440 million transactions. And I think that's probably ebbs and flows and has probably been bigger in some months, but that's the entire population of the country of Bhutan, all play or the entire population of Fiji, essentially playing this game at the same time is the magnitude of this, which is just absolutely incredible. And I wonder to what extent you feel like how Alien Worlds is leveraging NFTs is part of the functionality and utility is part of that and how that is happening to create this stickiness. You know, I just think about, you know, Jeff and I's previous venture in the food tech world prepared meals and the importance of retention and how hard it is to have that many users actively engaged at one time. I'm just blown away. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. I'd love to hear about your previous venture as well. That sounds interesting. <laughs> we all have different stories of how we got here and yeah, they're almost all really fascinating. Yeah, it's the stickiness and how NFTs contributes to that. So, I mean, like NFTs are completely different from fungible tokens in that, you know, they are each unique. I mean, there might sometimes be a series of them, all of which are the same, but they're unique between the series. And they're, at least in our case, they have these attributes, right? These these attributes that are on-chain visible and are then read by the gaming smart contracts, not just our gaming smart contracts, but anybody can write smart contracts that can understand these attributes and then can, you know, ascribe different gameplay pathways depending on what attributes the person is is presenting in the NFT that's in their bag at that time, for example. That's very, you know, you couldn't really design a game around Bitcoin, for example. I mean, all you can do actually with Bitcoin is transfer it. So (laughs) it would be a fairly, I mean, maybe you could design like a sort of tennis type game or something. But, you know, so, I mean, by being able to put all of that richness in there, you create, as you were kind of saying, the, the conditions for a really quite deep strategy can actually emerge from that, right? Because then you get, so in our case, for example, when you mine on Alien Worlds, you have to select a land NFT and a tool NFT, and the land is actually located on a planet. So the DAO dynamics at the planetary level impact the the mining rewards that go down to all of the land NFTs that are located or associated with that planet DAO. So you're selecting Thing, you know, a combination of tools and land that are then also um, have, have a relationship to the planet DAO that that land is located on. And so that's a kind of level of strategy that I don't think you could replicate with, you know, another crypto game that didn't use NFTs. You just get so much more, yeah, uniqueness and variation and strategy. But also, you know, one of the things that I find really interesting about that is that when we, as the game founders create NFTs that have these attributes. You know, we can envisage ways that our gaming smart contracts might understand those attributes, right? But another person, you guys could create a game that receives Alien Worlds NFTs and you could describe totally different. So, you know, in your world, an eight could be lower than a one, you know, whereas when we created it, it would be greater than it. But and you could have it where things are multipliers, whereas in ours, it might, they might be summative, for example. Or, you know, you could have a thing where one attribute cancels another, whereas we didn't conceive of it that way. So really, these NFTs, when they're utility NFTs and they have these attributes, you're actually unleashing into reality kind of unique on-chain, you know, things that have attributes that anybody can then in the future come up with lots of different interpretations of that. And I think, so you're almost creating like the grammar to a language in a way, or, you know, the characters to a story that can unfold. And, you know, that's just completely different from how fungible tokens work. So I think they each have, I mean, in our metaverse, we have fungible, a fungible token and NFT. So I think, you know, they each do definitely perform a different function, but they're incredibly rich, I think. And we're only seeing the beginning also of how we'll end up using them, you know? Totally. Yeah. And you're linking some DeFi elements into this too. Is that correct? Yeah, we call it, it's more user-defined DeFi. So DeFi or socially constructed DeFi in the sense that any kind of DeFi mechanisms would have to be agreed by the DAO custodian. So once each of the DAOs is open to 
custodian governance, they can choose to allocate resources in any way that they want. So that opportunity is there. It's not really defined the way that it's not like stake to earn or those kind of simpler mechanics, but it definitely contains the components for people. I mean, and certainly people are earning through Alien Worlds uh, through the mining game, but that's not really a DeFi mechanism because you, you actually have to perform various actions and then choose your strategy and then you go through mining. But yes, there are some possibilities for that through the DAOs for sure. Got it. Some more play to earn than traditional DeFi. Yeah. Understood. So, you know, the game will be launching missions, Binance Smart Chain. How are the NFTs on BSC different or similar to the NFTs in the mining game on WAX? Mm. So yeah, you can construct NFTs a little bit different. So for starters, the standard is different on WAX. We use the atomic asset standard and on Ethereum, it's different standards. So, and BSC as well. So basically the NFTs, we have a different number of attributes, fewer number of attributes, and we envisage that they'll get used in our missions game in a certain way. But actually that one of the reasons why I mentioned that kind of possibility of anybody picking up the NFTs and, and running with them in different ways is that we are already beginning to see the community considering how those BSC NFTs could get used in other ways. So the attributes on them could signify different things. So for example, we have a crafting key attribute on the BSC NFTs, which we don't have on the WAX NFTs. And so that crafting key is really just, it's a letter from A to G, I think, which can then be... So for example, if you had a B, you might gain access to certain events, or you might need to craft NFTs that had all of the letters, for example. So it, it allows a possibility for different game mechanics to emerge in future. We don't have that particular crafting key, for example, in our WAX NFTs. And yeah, already the community is looking at that and thinking certain pockets of the community and thinking how they can create little events, little mini games. They have all these little like quests and competitions and um, different leaderboard competitions, for example, that they just come up with themselves. And yeah, so those are contain some different attributes and are likely to end up getting used differently. A to G, that sounds very musical. There's no F sharp <laughs> and B flat, is there? <laughs> Not yet. Okay. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> you should come in and do that. <laughs> Was BSC chain the clear front runner of the new chain or did you guys look at Polygon and Avalanche and Solana and some of the other possibilities? We are looking at them for sure. So this is not, we're the only metaverse that I know of that's constructed on three chains in the way that we are now. So our token, our fungible token is on Wax, Ethereum and BSC. We have NFTs on Wax and now BSC. We have gaming logic on Wax and very soon on BSC. So yeah, that kind of multi-chain construction was pretty innovative at the time, especially, and I think remains so actually, even now we built a teleport function, which allows the fungible token to be, to be teleported or transported across the different chains. So you could hold it, you know, first on wax and then bring it over to Ethereum. Yes. And so as part of that, that's, you know, we won't be stopping there. <laughs> we'll definitely be extending the metaverse onto different chains. And, and also I think the community will do that, you know, I mean, it doesn't actually require us to create a teleport, for example, and, you know, anybody could create a code and then perhaps an interface that allows people to move their Trillium from our, you know, from Wax, for example, to another chain. So yeah, we certainly expect that that's all going to end up happening. We've already been building some technical bridges into Minecraft, for example. So extending the metaverse out into further platforms is like a major part of sort of extending the people that hear about Alien Worlds and can participate in it. But it's also just part of building the tech. You know, what we kind of think of is that we can sort of help build the tech and then everyone can kind of pile in and use it. <laughs> and also sometimes other people build the tech too. But All right. So really quick question. Who is the most surprising person in your life that you found is playing Alien Worlds that you never would have guessed it when you started all this? Well, I contacted like a financial advisor from way, way, way before, like years and years ago for something. And I just was like briefly describing why, I was, you know, what I was up to now. And he was like, oh, I've been playing Alien Worlds. <laughs> and I really <laughs> nice. didn't. Yeah, somebody from a completely different, that was unlikely. I mean, we've heard that, for example, like I think there was a whole hedge fund in New York where they were all playing it early on. Nice. Yeah, there've been a few little pockets of, it seems to take off within pockets initially and then grow out from there. So yeah, I was surprised at both of those. Well, speaking of that, I think you've talked about some of the innovation around DAOs and we hear that now planets and alien worlds will soon be, that's crazy. Tell us a little bit about 
how their NFTs support will support and expand during this development process and how you manage to do this. Because the biggest complaint I hear about DAOs is the bigger, the more complicated. And you've got a huge user base. So how are you going to do this? Yeah, I mean, hmm, it could fail. Won't lie. But, you know, that's always the way in crypto, isn't it? And I think that's important because otherwise there's no skin in the game. Like, and that's actually quite important. So when we turn the DAOs over to, to DAO governance, so to the governance of the custodian boards, they will have a lot of power, you know? And I think if we kind of sugarcoat that too much or put too many training wheels on that, that's not actually the point. I think people need to have, I mean, the, the A in DAO is autonomous. And the point of that is that the people running it should really have, you know, a high degree of autonomy over the direction that it goes in. And it's the voters who, you know, decide, the token holders of that DAO who are, who are the voters, who decide whether they agree with the direction or not. So to give you a flavor, I mean, there's some ways that we construct it or that the smart contracts are initially constructed, that that actually can also be altered by the DAO custodians in time. But there are some ways that the DAOs are initially constructed that help to help the electorate to keep the DAOs in check. So for example, the DAO custodian board changes every week, or at least the tally is taken every week. It could be the same five people as the week before, but there's the opportunity for the voters to get them out if they didn't like what they were doing. So you know, there's kind of a shorter window of time during which a DAO custodian board could kind of veer off track and, and start doing things that the voters didn't want. Oh, man, it would be nice if you could get some politicians out of office within a week. <laughs> right, exactly. So what we didn't do was a kind of direct democracy method where people are actually voting on referendum points because we think that it's hard enough to get engagement. I mean, what that really requires is a really engaged electorate and you know, I think it, so. What we have is a delegated democracy where you vote for the people and then they vote for the resolutions. And I think that is probably a better model. But yes, the mechanism then for the voters to get to exert their their control is this kind of like weekly tallying of the custodians. There'll also be a limit to how much can get transferred out of it, the DAO in each week, so that the custodians wouldn't be able to just sort of enact a really, really aggressive policy and kind of get that through all in one week. So there are certain parameters in there, but yeah, they have control and, and a lot of autonomy. And that's one of the reasons why the competitive dynamic is really alive and well within these DAOs. So I should say that what's open in the DAOs is people are running to be counselors and people are voting. They're staking into the, into the DAO entities, which means that they're impacting kind of the relative amount of the daily inflation that that planet is receiving. So if you're voting, if you're staking into a planet, then you're kind of helping that planet to be bigger and to attract more daily inflation. So that's what's um, currently up and running. And then the election period is open and, and we will be releasing them, the, the planets to Dow governance once a couple of things are in place. But um, it's, yeah, it's a hugely exciting dynamic and it's kind of why it's that's the strategic part of Alien Worlds. That's why people would want to kind of develop significant positions of Trillium to be able to really impact the planetary politics on a planet, right? So you can take over a planet and you can move to try and take over another planet and control it. Sorry to take us off topic a little bit here. I mean, you talked about working with small governments, um, you know, and blockchain and things like this. But I just went to a city council meeting in my local town and just, you know, noticed I don't know. It's its own thing that could be improved, you know, and there's good things about it or not. But have you thought about or have you seen people working to, you know, create a DAO for their for their small town or, or their or their big city? Or, you know, are there people envisioning this, dreaming this, trying to make that thing happen? I feel like you probably would have seen it if anyone. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, this kind of I mean, I don't know if any actual like municipality. I mean, I know that there's been a lot of local like vote. So for example, the government of Zoo, I think was looking into the feasibility of voting in their local elections on chain. And there've been a couple of other, I think there was a US city that actually began to have some voting on chain in their, in their elections. So that's kind of like recording voting on the blockchain. Um, but in terms of actually putting like affairs on chain through a DAO, yeah, I mean, I, I know that a lot of groups are really trying to either turn their existing organizations, like there was one foundation in particular that we were working with, or, you know, trying to have bigger and bigger groups of people. And also like grant making bodies definitely being turned into DAOs. Yeah. I mean, I think that's very much where this is going. So one thing to say about the way that tokenized DAOs work, and this is actually, I think, important for people to understand is that they're not in general one member, one vote. They're one token, one vote, which is kind of not the way democracy is, right? Like, so in a democracy, each natural person, you know, has a singular vote. And that's, I think, an important principle of democratic systems. 
On chain, it's a little different because we don't have a native concept of identity. So, you know, each account then has, so if, so if you wanted to try and replicate one person, one vote, you'd end up in a situation where people were incentivized to create lots of accounts because with each account, they get another unit of voting power, right? So you'd then have to be KYCing everybody and, you know, asking them to put in their passports and utility bills and so on in order to verify that each account also corresponded just to a single person, right? And, you know, I don't think that we necessarily want to be just invoking the kind of systems of the default world to credentialize identity, for example, in on-chain systems. I think there's other more native ways of building up reputation. So, for example, and therefore, if you're going to do that, it's normally better to have stake-weighted voting or token-weighted voting rather than account-weighted voting, which would be like one account or one person, one vote. It's a bit of a deviation. And sometimes people think it's kind of unfair then that, like, you know, people with more tokens get more say, but actually... One of the reasons for that is that those people would have put more value into the system. And so they're kind of have more investment and also more reason to want to protect it. So, you know, on-chain systems are very, very susceptible to attack. And so, you know, you need to have a group of people who have put a lot into the system and are really incentivized to protect it. Otherwise, a system like that is very vulnerable to attack. So there are some differences between the way that on-chain systems, I think, have to function versus sort of default world systems. And they're worth kind of like noticing by design. Well, enough about politics for a moment. (laughs) Let's talk about some of the fun things that are being created in that world, right? So we know that you have special edition NFTs that come about from some of the you know, members of the community. And, and also, I think you bring in some outsiders. Like, tell us a little bit about that side of Alien Worlds. Yeah. And actually, I'll just pick up because you guys asked how the NFTs might be used in the DAOs as well. This is really exciting. So, and this is one great example of how the community is way more creative than I'll ever be. So basically, the DAO accounts can hold any, they have to be EOSIO tokens. So that can be either fungible tokens or NFTs. So the DAO groups are already beginning to think about all the different types of NFTs that they can put inside their DAO smart contracts, which would then be governed by the DAO dynamics. So they could either create them or they could bring them in from the outside. They're even thinking of representing as NFTs on WAX other NFTs that exist elsewhere, for example, and then putting those into the DAC and making or DAO and making them part of the assets of the DAO that are community owned and community governed. Super creative. I didn't even really think of that possibility that you could put anything into those DAO smart contracts, anything that can be read by those smart contracts has to be OSIO code base. But I mean, now maybe in time they'll develop bridges and you could stick Ethereum NFTs in there. So yeah, that's really interesting that we're going to start seeing, you know, these communities be able to actually start to build up really diverse treasuries and how they'll build them up will, I think, also be really interesting. You know, will they get people to donate them? Will they be having competitions that will end up having them be seated? And how will they decide to, you know, attribute them out to their members and so on? I think that's super interesting. But yeah, so around how the other NFTs are coming about. So we've had a number of collaborations with other projects and sort of special edition NFTs that have gone out through our mining game. We also have a program that's been in the works with some artists who are creating NFTs that will be Alien Worlds NFTs and go out as rewards into the system. Really interesting. I mean, the the artist NFT universe now is so interesting. And I think a lot of them don't have the technical capability, you know, to, you know, a lot of just artists would love to sort of get involved. And so we can kind of help them with that side. So if they create the art, then we can help create the NFT. And then our community benefits because they get them as rewards and the artist benefits because they get some of the NFTs themselves. So we have a program like that in the works. We have a whole metaversal art space thing that's happening in October and loads of artists coming in and some musicians doing stuff around that. Yeah, it's quite an exciting time. Also, lore is being written about the NFTs. That was a very sweet thing, actually, that began to happen where the land NFTs, there was a writer that began to write like backstories to the land NFTs and why they had the names they did and so on. So yeah, the lore is a sort of decentralized thing that grows in interesting ways. Like I don't control the lore, you know, anybody can contribute to the lore. And is it official lore? Is it unofficial lore? I don't know. You know, like it's just something that everybody can contribute to and nobody owns it. That's amazing. Yeah. I loved hearing about the very kind of creative stuff people are doing with NFTs and and how things are opening up. But we've just been talking about how interesting it is that, you know, when NFTs are created and people hold them, 
that parties beyond the creator and holder of that NFTs could start to give those NFTs special privileges, right? Like I can create NFTs that give people special privileges to like a member area, but somebody else could create a member area all of their own that give people special privileges because it's so easy to just check on someone's wallet and see if they're holding an NFT. That's really cool stuff. All right, before we head into our quick hitters, which I'm sure is going to be a lot of fun with you, we always like to ask our guests kind of what's going on that they're interested in, maybe that we haven't discussed today, like other projects, platforms, ideas in the NFT world that you might be jazzed about we didn't discuss today. I love everything where creators are being incentivized to produce their own NFTs and their own games. So I think Sandbox, for example, is doing really interesting, has a really interesting mechanism for allowing community members to be creators and to also benefit from that and to create their own NFTs. Like that's why you would build a blockchain game versus server-based game is that because people own the product of what they're generating within the system. They're also really incentivized to add value to it and to create it themselves. So yeah, that's really for me what it all comes down to is that, and I think this concept that like not everybody might have the technical ability to do it. So like Sandbox, for example, helping to facilitate the kind of technical aspect, you know, how the NFT actually gets created on chain, but then all of the kind of attributes and imagery and all of the meaning really can get ascribed by the person themselves. And what you kind of mentioned about how like the community could create an event, for example, that ha- that required a certain signifier in the NFT to, to join the event. It's like, so the platform might create the tech and the user might create the meaning, but then other users add meaning, right? Because they then create an audience for that or a market for it or require it to be an, en- you know, an entry to their event. So it's a, that really is a collaborative like process of building up and layering up meaning and value within a system. And I think the tech doesn't necessarily have to be a, a blocker anymore, right? Because there's enough, you know, whether the platform itself creates it or even another, another entity within that metaverse or that gaming platform creates it, um, as long as the users can then put in value and then other users can create an audience or sort of extra meaning for that value, then that's what then creates a, a really vibrant economy and dynamic going forward. Awesome stuff. So much creativity going on. I appreciate you sharing all this with us. Jeff, should we head on over to Quick Hitters? I think so. So they're really just a fun, brief, but quick way to get to know you a little bit better. So there's 10 total questions. We're looking for short, single word or few word responses, but you know, feel free to expand if you get the urge. Are you ready to dive in? Yeah, ready. All right, let's do it. Okay. Question number one. What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? I think it would have to be a fuzzy peach, like sour candy. Oh, fuzzy candy's always going to be healthy at first. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I totally remember those. Those are pretty good. Second to Swedish fish for me, but they were up there. Yeah, they had really, yeah. Sweet, sour, everything you wanted. I'll have to try that. Question two, what is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? So I was thinking about this. I think this was a little handbag that I had when I was a kid. Yeah. Did it have some special? Uh, no. Well, no. I think that's why I was getting rid of it. <laughs> Not <laughs> special think, enough. Yeah, and I think it might have been like my church where they were somehow I was able to like bring it for some kind of like sale or something, and they sold it. Yeah, a little handbag. Okay. Question three: What is the most recent thing you purchased? Well, I took an Uber today, so that would probably be it—an Uber ride. Was it way more expensive than you thought it would be? It, yes, actually. <laughs> I'm glad to see this is a universal thing. When Josh and I went to Puerto Rico, we were with a big group of guys, and they don't have a lot of Ubers in, in San Juan, but they have them. And we would all go to together to the same place, and then we would all stupidly order an Uber yeah. at the same time. Oh, <laughs> and so no. the price would just go way up, even though we were going to have to wait for the car to come back and get us like later and like watch it run around the map. Worse, <laughs> during rush hour, we scheduled a podcast with Michael Turpin, and there were no Ubers to get me to the podcast. So I had to scooter with my computer and all my equipment five miles on a scooter to get to the podcast on time. It's beautiful. That's commitment. The things we do for Edge of NFT. (laughs) Question four, what is the most recent thing you sold? Oh yeah. So I can't actually remember, but I've been giving away stuff on FreeCycle, furniture that 
either I cannot put together or that I just don't want. And I love it. It's great. It disappears from your house within a day and then the problem is gone. <laughs> they need to add that step as a picture on the Ikea instructions. That little man has to like, there's a picture of him selling it on Craigslist right. <laughs> or whatever. First him like crying and then putting it up on recycle. This is a... Nice. I feel like there's an SNL skit in there you guys are working on. This is actually something good. <laughs> By the way, just going back to Uber, we found out the other day, Uber is one of the most hated brands in various countries throughout the world, including, I think, the United really? States for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We always have these love-hate relationships with these things, don't we? Yeah. Because I also love Uber. Depends on the day. Now that they're trying to make a profit, we don't like them anymore. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Question number five. What is your most prized possession? My dog, if she counts. Yeah. Of course. I guess I'm lucky because I have a sort of family member who's also sort of a possession, so I can slip her in there. She's the best. And What kind yeah. of breed is she? She's an English toy terrier. It's quite an unusual breed, but they look like Doberman pinchers, but like bonsai, like tiny, oh, nice. the size of a cat. Is that the same as a miniature pincher? Do people Very call similar. It that Not well? actually oh. the same, but they look like almost identical. Yeah. I love super them. cute. Yeah. Is she right there? No. Oh, she was actually. Oh, okay. She was barking. You, you were kind of looking over there. I thought maybe. Okay. Yeah. She's I mean, often had, right there. I think Vesa, the artist Vesa, brought his dog on the podcast. I don't know. Do we have any other animals? I don't think. I think that we've had like only... one other dog. I think we had like the dog slipping water in the background a couple of times <laughs> as like, you know, sound effects. Dog noises. <laughs> Unexpected. Okay. Yeah. Question number six. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical, service, and experience that's currently for sale. What would that be? I would buy some time off <laughs> and a bit of a holiday. We've been working pretty hard for a while. I haven't really taken any time off for a while. So yes, I would love just like a period where I felt that, you know, things were covered and I could just switch off the telegram. I'm sure it will come. I'm feeling like the last two weeks of the year, everyone's just going to chill out. It's been quite a year. Christmas will be great. We've heard several times in the podcast, somebody who they like, decide to go on vacation for two weeks and then they realize that nfts happened you know and they're like oh crap <laughs> you know, or, know. You know they, it's really hard to to get out of the game for any even a short period of time exactly. a lot happens <laughs> so let's shift gears a smidge question seven if you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation what would that be i think sort of overcoming obstacles is a quality. Yeah. We, that's something you, any like early stage project. Sometimes I feel like I'm almost just, when I go in front of my computer, it's just like, okay, I'm just like a machine that has to find ways around issues that arise, obstacles, you know? So yeah, that's a, something I would pass that on. The obstacle is the way. Ooh. There's a book called that, but also I think it's probably a stoic. It comes from some stoic mm. philosophy. I feel like David Goggins would like that quote also. For sure. Jocko Willink too, those guys. Awesome. So flip side, question eight, if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? Um, maybe like comfort eating, you know, like just diving into the sugar. It happens, but it would be nice to just not, for that not to happen. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just have like, perhaps stoicism then would be what I would be yeah, right. <laughs> But cheesecake is so good. It's hard. It's hard. I, I think uh, such a struggle. Yes. Okay. A little bit easier. Question number nine. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I was catching up with my family, having arrived in on my Uber. and I saw my dog and, uh, and everyone else. And then someone in the house was watching, it's like some kind of Korean series that's become very like successful here. And it's very violent, but that was all I, do you guys know what this is? No. Anyway, I was told that I probably wouldn't like it because it was too violent. So I is just... that the, it's the game show on Netflix, right? It's about the whole, whole crew. I think so. Yeah. And it's like streaming in like 36 different languages or something. Yeah. Like super duper popular. People love exactly. it. It's a squid game or something like yes, that. Yes, that's it. That's yeah. it. Do you like it? Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. It's on, on my list and it's constantly up on Netflix because it's number one and it has been forever. So yeah, people- I'm looking people at you yesterday today. Squid Game is horrifying. <laughs> in a good way. In a good way. But can you have horrifying in a good way? I think if it's Halloween or it's October, right? Like I feel like- Some people like that. Yeah. I don't know. You're more into the friendly aliens. I get it. Yes. <laughs> I wouldn't nice. give that as a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of my dress? It's horrifying. Right. Yeah, yeah. In a good way. <laughs> Last one. Question, Ted. What are you going to do next after the podcast? I will be going to bed. 
yeah, as discussed, it's on the late side here. So <laughs> yeah, I, in fact, probably filling up a hot water bottle and heading to bed. <laughs> that sounds nice. One of my favorite things. Yeah, yeah a little better than comfort food. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right? Nice misdirection. I'll just do that instead. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for sharing your answers with us in the Edge Quick Hitters. We appreciate it. And we know it is late over there and we got to let you run. But okay. before we do, we did want to uh, ask where folks should go to follow what you're up to, the projects you're working on, whether it's Alien Worlds or anything else. Like, How do people stay informed? Yeah, for sure. So alienworlds.io is the kind of main place. And from there, you can check out the metaverse and all of the gaming functionality that we've created. So yeah, alienworlds.io. And then I would really suggest also like getting into the Discord and Telegram channels that are also linked from there, because that's where the community, that's where you can go to start kind of visiting other parts of the metaverse than just the initial games that we've created. The, the metaverse is really vibrant place, but you kind of have to, like any city, for example, you, you have to start to get to know it and chat to people and find out the other places because they've all got their own Telegram and Discord channels, which you'll discover if you start to chat to people. So yeah, don't just kind of go to the website or think that you can just go to the game and play the game because the social element of it really is is where you discover the other stuff that's going on and you can begin to find that at the Telegram and Discord, especially the Discord. Yeah, very cool indeed. And you know, I think we have a little giveaway we were putting together too. Josh, did you have some deets on that? Yeah, yeah. I was communicating with your assistant during this process. Actually, Jack of all trades, uh, Stacy, who's amazing, by the way. You have such an amazing team. Shout out to Stacey. So I think we have 10 tools of varying traits that we're going to be giving away, which is really incredible. And, and of course, some may have, some people may feel some of these have more perceived value than others, but at the end of the day, it'll be a random selection of those tools to uh, folks that compete in a little contest that we put together. So thanks for that. That's, That's so great. Cool. That's thanks, great. Yeah. Guys. Keep an eye out on our socials for that. To all our listeners, we'll get you more details on uh, on how to score some of those traits, some of those tools, excuse me, with varying traits. So uh, Sarah, thanks so much, of course, thanks for so sharing much, uh, this time with us and your perspective is, is super valuable and something we've been looking forward to for a really long time. So yeah, far cool, exceeded. Congrats also on the huge success of your podcast. It's the, remind me again. So you're now the. Well, we're in the top 50 yeah. tech, podcast. tech podcast in the yeah. world. Yeah, that's right. That's up against some pretty, yeah. you know, stiff competition. It changes, you know, week to week, like just like the dab. We've been actually, you mentioned Bhutan. We've been Ooh. number one in Bhutan. Actually. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> but seriously, guys, congrats. Cause it probably, there's some podcasts in there that have been around for many, many years. Right. And so yeah. you guys have built that up, you know, through this great, chemistry that you have and all these amazing guests and this wonderful space that you're covering. So yeah, congrats to you guys. Yeah. It's been fun. We're launching our first Thank NFT you. project soon, you know, called Living Trees. And Ethan's been the mastermind architect behind that. But the idea I think is, is that we want to have NFTs that keep giving like the giving tree, mm. you know, and, you know, cross pollinate this ecosystem with all the amazing guests that we've had on and may have on in the future. So if you have one of these trees, you never know what's going to grow on one of the branches. Oh, that's great. And you guys might do an event at some point as well, I hear. Or or multiple. Multiple yeah, for sure. Well, we'll keep you updated. To. We'll be at quite a few events. We've got NYC NFT and then Dreamverse and then Crypto Experience in Miami. And then after that is DecentralCon. So we'll be hitting the road for, for November and early December. And then we'll be ready for a nap too, just like you. Nice. Cool. Well, maybe our paths will meet and um, congrats again on, on all of that. That's, that's really awesome. All right. Let's head on over to the hot topics and see what's going on in the ever-expanding universe of NFTs. Mechaverse bags 60 million in Ethereum in NFT sales. Another NFT drop is the raging topic of discussion today as Mechaverse bags the record of being one of the largest launches to date. The Ethereum NFTs, which were launched yesterday, have already acquired massive sales worth 60 million between initial mint and secondary sales. All right, sounds like a fascinating event here. What do we know about this? Jeff, you got an opinion? Yeah, well, I think what we know is that they crushed it. And there are a number of projects to, that just continue to crush it. I think there was this like time where you felt like things were kind of, you know, tapering off a little bit in NFT land. But what's really happening is there's an evolution. It's an ebb and flow and then kind of creative destruction. They find a new path with different elements, different functions, different promises, different features. And it's just continuing to grow. And the funny thing is, is 
these are all what I consider to be primarily like community-based, like really fun-driven projects, right? And the function relates to the community, which is amazing. It's really important, right? However, we're not talking about projects that are launching that are going to, you know, eliminate physical IDs or, you know, deeds Mm -hmm. to homes or car registrations or these other things that everybody has to deal with in their life and will eventually be NFTs or some equivalent. Right. Yeah. This is pretty fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the images here and they're, they're really cool. They look like transformers a little bit. And I think another thing too is, you know, you see people spending on these things. Maybe they're thinking of them as investments, you know, whether that's a good idea or not, but there's something that we, you know, we even mentioned it in our edge quick hitters. If you can buy anything in the world, we mentioned experience, right? And I think that's also something that makes these things valuable for people, you know, why they're willing to take a little bit of risk on it, you know, not being something that they can get a return on investment, right? Because they're having an experience with it. Like it's really fun. There's a story, you know, there's maybe even some lore attached as we heard from our guests today, you know? And so, you know, whether or not it goes somewhere in the future, you've had some fun in the process. And if you spend a little bit of money on that, that's okay. A little bit of money, but now it's a lot of money because the floor is 6.25 ETH. It was 5 ETH when I checked it before. And two of our friends were fortunate enough to to get these, but it's completely random by lottery. So congrats to anyone that has a a Mechaverse. And if you decide to buy one at 6.25 ETH, We'll post our wallet address and you could send it to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. So, but yeah, pretty amazing drop and definitely sort of sh- continuing to show the promise of the industry. We've got a lot of other big drops coming up. So, you know, if there's a bubble, the bubble is just getting really, really big. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The, the one I have to say, there's something I've been having this ongoing conversation about, like, what is the new digital flex? Right. Like, and people talk about and, and have created platforms for like showcasing all of your NFTs, for example. Right. But I don't think that's, I think that's like a little bit too, like it's too much of an active step that people have to take to, to show, you know, to show somebody literally what they have. It's like somebody, you know, pulling something out of their pocket and showing it to them, like walking around with their, you know, special LeBron James rookie card or something in their pocket at all times. It's not, that's not cool, you know? And I think it's, there's this thing that's happening where, whether it's in the profile pictures that are now you know, going to be verified on Twitter or something similar, that it's like a passive step that you take deliberately, right? Like you walked outside, you know, in the late eighties and early nineties, rocking your Jordans, knowing that they just came out like yesterday, right? And you know, everyone's going to look at them, but you don't really say anything about it. You're just wearing them, you know, matter if you're cruising in a, you know, the brand new Lamborghini or Ferrari or whatever, with a bunch of friends in there driving all over God's creation and not saying a word about it, right? Like there's a passive element to that, you know, that's a flex that I think is kind of cool. But if you're the guy by himself pulling up to the valet at 1 a.m., you know, solo in your Ferrari, that's not cool. Like there's there's this line here and I'm trying to figure out where it's going to be with, with digital assets. It's starting to kind of show itself a little bit. The profile picture is one of those places. And I'm just like, this makes me think about it. like, where else are you going to show off your Mechaverse you know, stuff is, is going to say that you were at the party, you know, that only Mechaverse holders have, or you happen to get that piece of gear that, you know, for certain only Mechaverse holders have, you know, this is like little things coming about. It makes me think about it a lot. Well, we know that uh, Metaverse is going to flex their people at Metaverse, uh, the Dreamverse. So we'll see how Indeed. that goes. <laughs> Next headline on the chopping block here, why FTX's upcoming marketplace is avoiding NFTs that offer royalties. Well, I can imagine why, but uh, royalties are relatively new concept when it comes to NFTs. With an overabundance of projects out there, many are looking to add value to their token holders and experimenting with how they could do so. One way is to give back a portion of the fees generated when NFTs are bought and sold on marketplaces to token holders known as royalties. The idea is this should incentivize buyer to hold uh, for a longer time, but marketplaces are concerned that this could make JPEGs fall foul of, that's right, U.S. securities laws. So the president, Brett Harrison of FTX said, we will list NFT projects that pay royalties to the artists and creators, but projects that pay royalties, the owners of these, they are going to avoid that. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's a pretty cut and dried answer. I mean, but that's I think what the bigger news is that you know, you've got an exchange that's been relatively bold in terms of what it's done for the industry and going into NFTs directly. You know, they have a U.S. division. 
bought naming rights to stadiums. There's been rumors that they want to buy major financial institutions. Them going into NFTs and sort of finding that balance with uh, securities laws is a fascinating signal of what they see as the potential. Um, we've talked for a while about the dominance of OpenSea and there's been conversations brewing about other players coming into the mix. And I certainly think FTX is well positioned to, you know, become another player of a major way. They have the credibility and the capability of funding to to make a stab at OpenSea, which I don't think too many people have thus far. Yeah, we'll see where it turns out. Agreed. Chess Grandmaster Magnus Carlsen awarded NFT trophy. After tournament win. So the first time in chess history, Grandmaster Magnus Carlsen has been awarded this NFT trophy for winning an international chess tournament, the Meltwater Champions Chess Tour. Tournament minted a number of NFT trophies and collectibles to indefinitely preserve the game's most defining moments. Well, that's exciting. I mean, I guess if you create an NFT along with a physical version, then you can still put these type of things on your mantle. I do have some bowling trophies still from when I was a young child and <laughs> thought I would put those on display, but it's kind those, of fun. Uh, like participation trophies or first no, place? No, no, I, I was getting like, okay. you know, I got my 100 no. game. I mean, that Is was a big deal uh, for like a 10 year old. <laughs> are we talking the skinny pins or the bigger? Pins? <laughs> We're talking full scale pins right here. Guys. Oh, wow. I was a candle pin bowler in my, uh, my childhood. I have some of those trophies. So. I lived in a small town when I was young whose claim to fame was the world's largest weather vane. And then I moved to a slightly larger town whose claim to fame was they were a production center for Brunswick bowling manufacturing. So we had the latest in bowling technology and it was huge. I'm sure there's <laughs> a lot of, of parents that would love to see trophies be virtualized. Yeah. And I also think it's great for kids too. I remember I was big in Mortal Kombat and then at 12, I won this big Mortal Kombat championship at my local arcade. And no, and you guys have to believe me. There's no trophy digital right. to prove it. Right? And I if don't I had believe a... you. But yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Were you Sub-Zero? Yeah, yeah. Sub-Zero, yes. ma'am. I knew that was you. Yeah, yeah. So right. I would love to have that trophy just so that you don't have to believe me, Ethan, you, you could eat your own words and see the trophy. But guys, yeah. wait, no shit though. Hold on. This is actually pretty interesting, right? Like these rewards, like we give all kinds of like different like things for participation in X, Y, or Z or rewards or whatever. But there's something really interesting here. And one thing I caught about that was that they gave the Grandmaster the trophy, the NFT, and then mm -hmm. they auctioned off the sister one. There was only one other one. Mm -hmm. And they auctioned that off for like $26,000 or something right. like that. Right. Which is really interesting. That's really cool when you think about, you know, like, I don't know, like, again, the Super Bowl ring, Super Bowl trophies, you know, these right. one time things that are created. Right. And then you have this opportunity to create a very, very limited set of kind of parallel versions for a charity that could be auctioned off or whatever. I mean, how sweet would it be to have one of one Super Bowl ring that was created, you know, for the next Super Bowl, or whatever? Like, that would be freaking awesome. Yeah. There's tons of, of interesting aspects to this. Going back to my bowling trophies, you know, like I, I can't help but talk about it because I actually do have them, Josh. I mean, I could show them to you. But no, I mean, <laughs> the topic that I find interesting about this is the only reason I have them, I picked them up from my mom's house. I probably would have thrown them away, but I thought my three-year-old would have fun like playing around with them. But that's a thing about physical items, those trophies, those pictures you drew when you were a kid. At a certain point, you go, oh, this is nostalgic, but maybe I just got to trash this, right? I don't need this. But if it's digital, you know, maybe you want to keep it around. Or that begs the question, you know, we're collecting NFTs, we're collecting, you know, digital trophies. Is there a point at which we somehow have to kind of, you know, symbolically or actually get rid of some of these things that are taking up Digital well, space, I you think know? that's a business idea because like what's the feng shui recommendation is it's just to take a picture of it. But but that doesn't quite get at the sentimentalness of owning the trophy and theoretically being able to show that trophy easily to someone else one day. And my mom also has a storage unit with my trophies in it. <laughs> and once in a every few years, she's like, do you want me to throw these away? And the answer is absolutely not. <laughs> but this conversation is making me realize that there is a business opportunity here, guys, for someone that wants to take old sort of trophies and just 
NFT them for people and so they can be nicely displayed and parents can finally get their storage units back. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. Let's all do more to help our parents get their storage units back. That's what this whole NFT craze is about. <laughs> Should we massive, do a massive off? social utility, guys? <laughs> massive. We are geniuses. Okay. So we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us, and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Want to help co-create Edge of NFT with us? Got guests you want to see on the episodes. Questions for hosts or guests? An NFT you'd like us to review? Drop us a line at contact at edgeofnft.com or tweet at us at edgeofnft to get in the mix. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.